Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together, we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. In episode 5 of the Nerd Lab, we will today talk about storytelling. What is the story and why do we want one for our games? Today, you will learn the difference between a scripted narrative and emergent narrative and how you can use a narrative to create emotion, engagement and memorable experiences for your games. But before we start with our main topic today, I have a little addendum to last week's episode. Last week we talked about metrics and mechanics that can help us to advance our encounters and to measure the progress our heroes make in our game. I came up with the following list which I described in detail during the last episode. We talked about skill challenges from D&D 4th edition, we talked about simple 1 to 10 scales, we talked about contests from the Fate RPG and success rates from a German RPG called Splittermond. And we also talked about progress tracks from the Warhammer RPG. But all of these measurement tools uh, came from RPGs. And I asked you, the listeners, if you know any other board games or card games or mechanics that can help us to keep track of non-combat metrics. Uh, Sebastian, one of our listeners, mentioned the board game Legends of Andor. Um, thank you very much for your input, Sebastian. Um, I have absolutely no idea why I didn't come to Andor myself, but I think it is indeed a very good board game example for measuring non-combat progress. So let's have a closer look at Andor and analyze how it keeps track of uh, players' progress. In Andor, the players basically take the role of a generic fantasy hero, a wizard, an archer, a dwarf or a warrior and go on a quest to defend the kingdom against various monsters. Each of the quests has specific goals, which will be revealed um, as the game progresses. The game uses an action management system. Each hero has a seven-hour workday and um, can spend those hours for taking actions like moving or fighting. Combat is uh, dice-based and quite simple, but we do not have to go into detail here right now. The main goal of, for the players is to prevent monsters from entering the castle. Um, from this goal we can derive already the dramatic question. Can the heroes solve the quest's goals before the enemies conquer the castle? Isn't that a bit unspecific, you might be wondering? Yes, it is. However, the heroes don't know their quest-specific goals at the beginning of the quest, so um, yeah, there is no more specific question to, to be asked here. They only know their lose condition, which is always the same. Once X enemies enter the castle, you lose the game. There is a tracker on the board that measures the maximum number of monsters that can enter the castle before you lose the game. This number depends on the number of players and the number of uh, peasants the heroes were able to save. So it's a kind of side quest, rescue the peasants, that has an influence on the main quest, protect the castle. This tracker is already a measurement tool for players' progress towards answering the dramatic question, but uh, it's not the one I wanted to talk about today. The game also provides certain fixed events that happen at various points during the quest. They are introduced by the game's large story cards. Uh, and what, what makes this game incredibly successful is the clever use of these story cards to introduce players to the games, systems and methods um, incrementally. 
However, the mechanic I actually wanted to talk about is the legend track, which is printed on the right side of the board. The legend track is lettered from A to N, and throughout the course of the game, the narrator token will move upwards from the A space. The narrator is moved forward one space every turn, and whenever an enemy gets killed. Each of the story cards has a letter on its backside, and once the narrator reaches um, the letter space on the track, the card is read out loud. So, for example, um, the story is started by reading all the cards with the letter A on them from the story deck for the chosen legend. These cards usually give you more setup instructions as well as outline your initial goal for the legend. Sometimes the end point of the whole legend is known from the start, while other times the story is given to you in pieces. The second loose option is when the narrator reaches the end space on the legend tracker. This means the players have to work together to achieve the goals under time pressure and must prevent their loose conditions from occurring. This also means the players have to think about which enemies are necessary to be killed and which ones can be left alone. Due to the timing mechanisms, each killed enemy causes the story to advance, but most of the time you don't want the narrator token to move ahead too far because you will lose if it gets to the end of the track. This turns the game into much more of a tactical puzzle than an adventuring game. Since the monsters and narrator behavior is always the same, the question the game asks to the players is always the same as well, and um, this, in my opinion, is the major drawback of Andor. However, I think the combination of a fixed element and a variable element is an awesome implementation of an encounter measurement tool. Um, in the case of Andor, the fixed element is the legend track lettered from A to N, and variable parts are the quest-specific cards um, that trigger once the narrator token reaches the different letters. In Andor, the narrator token moves based on time passed and monsters killed. But I have the feeling that there is a huge potential if you change some of the variables here. Maybe this can be an inspiration for someone of you for, for your game development. Um, it definitely has been for me. This brings us to our main topic for today. Actually, I wanted to talk about a completely different topic for this week. But when I was looking at Andor's mechanics, um, something really caught my eye when I looked through the box. Um, the story cards and how they managed to integrate the narrative into the game. They reminded me a little bit on the triggers I want in my game and that led to the fact that I not only took a deeper look at Andor's measurement scales but also at Andor's way of telling a story and um, yeah, looking into storytelling in board games in general. And then one thing led to another and I stayed up way too long researching the different storytelling methods. Um, well, however, at least we got a, a nice little podcast episode out of it. Let's start by talking about what is a story or a narrative and why do we want one for our game. When we are talking about the overall events that happen in our game and our world, um, we refer to a story. This is typically some kind of sequence of events our players participate in. Most of the board games, um, at least the ones I play, um, include some elements of story to them. It's part of what makes us care about the game. It's our motivation, so to speak. Stories also make for more memorable game experiences. If you feel that you are playing a character in a game, 
rather than just moving little pieces around on the table, then you are more invested um, in how things turn out and you more likely want to keep thinking about the game uh, long after you, you played it. Can you remember when I talked about my special relationship to my former D&D characters in episode one of the podcast? This relationship and all the memories that immediately came up when I found the old character sheets after 20 years are mainly based on the fact that these characters participated and heavily influenced a great story. Our heroes need to be yeah, challenged, threatened and bad things must happen to them in order for us to, to root for them and get emotionally invested. A narrative has the power to create the drama and ownership we need to really feel this emotion um, and invest into our heroes and the world around them. A good story makes you feel like you really own what is happening. If you compare a game that's just a mental puzzle with playing an RPG, for example, the interesting part in the puzzle is, well, yeah, solving the puzzle and winning. But other than that, there is no real investment in the game. Alternatively, when I play an RPG, I deeply care about the, what happens to my character. I want them to live. I want them to have a profound impact on the world they are living in. A very good example of this is uh, from one of our last uh, Gloomhaven sessions, where one uh, character retired and instead of uh, living in peace uh, in the city of Gloomhaven, um, his retirement was, well, not that peaceful, I would say. Um, his body was consumed by horrendous insects bursting out of his skin and, um, well, yeah, the character died. In Gloomhaven, it's quite normal that characters retire and players are no longer able to play that specific character. But um, yeah, this time it was different. The character just died instead of living his uh, peaceful life. Um, and um, the reaction of the player of that character was completely different. Um, he was quite sad that his character died in this uh, horrendous way. And this, I think it's a very good example of um, character investment. It is often more um, about the travel you experience together with your character than the final outcome of the game. And I think with the rise of legacy games in recent years, um, I have the feeling that narratives are more prominent than ever before in board games. But um, yeah, board games are kind of special. They are different than movies and different than RPGs and definitely different uh, than digital games. And... Uh, from my perspective, the biggest challenge for a board game is um, uh, to, to get in the good stuff of storytelling, but keep their rule-based mechanics and gameplay. One aspect I want you to understand before we can look into some examples is the difference between scripted and emergent narrative. A term that has been used quite a bit in the industry in the, in the last years. So let's start with the scripted narrative. Um, scripted narrative um, is a story that has been designed, written and communicated by um, the game designer and is interpreted by its audience. Scripted narrative covers all forms of narrative that is pre-written um, and packed into the game. Examples are the introductory and concluding stories of Akram Horror, for example. Um, 
or also the hero's backstory on, on player boards in Gloomhaven. Scripted narratives um, structure the main story of the of the game, and um, yeah, deliver the primary events um, through storybooks, uh, text on cards, um, or yeah, other things like app-driven voice narration. Emergent narrative, on the other hand, is way more interesting from a designer's perspective. This includes the story that is created in the player's mind through interaction with the game's mechanics, images sounds, communication with other players and also um, interacting with the scripted narrative. Emergent narrative can be viewed as a sequence of story world events that come together in the player's mind emerging from gameplay actions. Designers can obviously provide more hooks for these mental images by um, adding small scripted narrative elements that trigger in an emergent fashion through the game's mechanics. One example for this are, for example, critical hits that cause special effects. In our RPG group, we had a crit table that described the injury in detail based on the body part that was affected and the weapon that was used. Often the result was just um, a number of damage points, but the die roll added another layer and created even more colorful images um, in the player's minds. But the effects were not scripted. Um, the GM never designed the game in a way that um, one particular character loses his right hand, for example, from a sword attack. Um, more, it was more like um, creating a mechanic um, and little narrative pieces that then um, randomly come together and um, create a, a story in the player's mind that um, yeah, has not been planned before. But this is also the hardest form of narrative design because uh, you as a designer can only create the, the methods and the architecture for, for it to be experienced and um, you are not able to determine the exact content and the exact outcome um, as you could do with the scripted narrative. As a designer, you can only encourage your players to experience the narrative. Um, but you cannot quite push them to do so, since these elements are, yeah, and they are dependent on on the player's imagination. I think scripted narrative and emergent narrative go hand in hand, and they have a very strong relationship. Uh, one influences the other, and um, in order to create a very good adventuring game, I think you need both. In order to tell your story, you can of course use um, your artwork in the game. Or you can use language, um, so text, to transport your information. But um, I think for board games, it's even more important that your mechanics um, deliver some kind of the story. This means the players discover the story by performing physical or mental actions. Um, and they drive the story themselves. So let's have a look at some... Uh, some games, board games and card games and um, how they um, drive the story forward with, um, with their mechanics. We start with Arkham Horror, the card game. In Arkham Horror you take the role of an investigator who has to move to locations and collect clue tokens while fighting off um, cultists and um, other otherworldly beasts. To do this, you will play cards from your hand, which could be weapons, relics, or spells. 
and you, you do a lot of skill checks. Arkham Horror is a, is a good example of a scripted narrative that is integrated into the game's mechanics. The different scenes are scripted and are revealed and linked together differently in every game. It depends on the gameplay how fast each aspect of the story progresses. The Arkham Horror card game has um, a lot of scripted narrative at the start and um, another one at the end with um, um, yeah, the later being dependent on, on the outcome um, from the game's mechanics. During the game, players flip over two different sets of cards. So we have the act cards and the agenda cards. Um, they, and they have negative and positive scripted outcomes um, and they help to advance the, the story during the game. The act deck represents the progress players make as an investigator in solving mysteries and achieving the scenario goals. Normally, the investigators want to advance in the scene deck. Um, and this happens when they have acquired enough investigation points. The agenda deck on the other side represents the progress of the enemies. Uh, when I remember correctly, the agenda deck advances based on turns past and thereby also acts as a time limit for the players. Uh, normally the players don't want to advance in, this, in the um, agenda deck because, um, yeah, This uh, the players lose once uh, once all of the agenda cards have been revealed. This means you want to advance uh, one story element, but not the other. There are also um, individual locations in the world um, that have some kind of short descriptive texts on them, um, and and so, so do enemies and allies. While these are not very yeah central. To, to the plot um, of the scripted narrative, they also add some kind of flavor to the, to the story. But the real, the real meat of the game um, is, um, is the scenario you can play, which has typically special rules and objectives for both the players and the AI. The results from one scenario um, are written down in a scenario book and they influence the setting and the difficulty of the next scenario. Well, this means you can make progress um, even when you have uh, or had a catastrophic failure in one of the scenarios. Um, although this does make the subsequent scenarios a lot harder. So if we summarize this, um, Arkham Horror, the card game, uses um, artwork and flavor text on cards to transport their story. They also have some kind of introduction and conclusion, which is delivered by the campaign book. And they have two different decks of cards with scripted stories that represent the player's progress on the one side and the AI progress on the other side. Scenarios are also linked through the results affecting the setting of the and the difficulty of the, of the following scenarios. So from what I can remember from Arkham Horror, the card game, um, the story is more transported um, with, uh, with a scripted narrative than with emergent narrative. But it does it very good. So um, there's a very, very good um, atmosphere when you play the game. And um, the elements I just mentioned um, yeah, are doing a good job in transporting um, the story and the atmosphere. The next game I wanted to talk about is the Lord of the Rings card game, uh, which is a 
cooperative living card game for one to four players. Um, and they, the players have to work together to defeat the scenario and complete quests. Uh, every player is controlling uh, three different hero characters and a deck of cards that contains uh, allies, attachments and events. The game is played in, yeah, in, in rounds and each round contains uh, seven different phases. So you have to plan your resources, you have a planning phase, then you have a quest phase, then you can travel to locations, uh, you, you face encounters, um, have a combat and at the end you refresh your character. Uh, for us today, the, the quest phase is the interesting one. The game comes with two different decks that are relevant for this phase. We have the quest deck, um, which contains uh, all the cards um, of the story. So each card is, an, is a numbered step in a sequential scripted uh, narrative. And then we have the encounter deck um, that is also dependent on the scenario the players have chosen and it contains all the enemies, all the places and all other circumstances for the quest. And um, in during the quest phase, players have to commit their heroes to a quest. That means they will become tapped and they can no longer attack or block in this turn. Um, then you are going to check the willpower of all the, all the heroes um, and compare it to the willpower of the encounter card. Um, if the willpower is higher, you make some kind of progress. If it's lower, um, yeah, another effect happens. So the threat level will be increased. And um, you reveal also one random encounter card per player every turn. And that means the new enemies, places or circumstances will be, will be added to the game every round. These enemies, places and circumstances, of course, have some kind of artwork and um, also a little bit of flavor text on them. Uh, I didn't play all of the available campaigns in Lord of the Ring, the card game, um, because there are a ton of them. But um, yeah, let's say I played maybe five, five of them. And um, for me, um, the real there was never a real connection to my to my character in the game. All the mechanics of the game they felt more yeah mechanical, and I never had the feeling of really um, playing a role or playing my character. Um, well, let's let's have a look what kind of elements the game uses to transport the story. So we have the artwork and the flavor text on the cards. We have some kind of introduction and conclusion text, um, which is printed on the scenario cards. There is no campaign book, for example. And um, we have the scene deck, um, which is the scripted story, and um, the encounter deck that represents random enemies and places and could deliver the emergent narrative, but... For me, it never did it. In contrast, the following game has uh, left lasting memories for me. Um, the game I want to talk about now is Aventuria, the card game. Aventuria is an adventure card game that is based on uh, the German RPG called Das Schwarze Auge, or in English, The Dark Eye. Aventuria is uh, kind of similar in its scope to the Pathfinder adventure card game that maybe some of you might know, but it differs significantly in its mechanics. Players choose a hero and get a character card that dictates their skill stats, their combat stats and yeah, character-specific uh, ability. And each character comes with a pre-constructed deck full of equipment, uh, actions and reactions. Um, and each adventure consists of uh, reading some story text in a scenario book and making um, associated skill checks that affect the 
the story and the, the, the fight that you'll play afterwards. Um, but the skill checks are made during the scenario preparation phase while you are reading the storybook. Um, and then each combat is, um, yeah, it's kind of a pre-constructed um, combat scenario with a certain boss in it um, and a shuffled deck full of uh, enemies um, and other conditions that dictate the setup. Um, so I identified three or four different game elements that really deliver the emergent narrative for me. The first one is the time scale. Um, this is a, a card called the time scale and you choose one for every quest you play and you get a different version for, for the time scale based on different uh, difficulty levels. So you have one time scale per quest and every turn a time counter is removed from that card and um, yeah, and then uh, certain events can trigger which are listed on the time scale card. So the second one um, are hero actions and they are I think they are great. Uh, each quest comes with a different uh, with different hero action cards. These cards allow players to perform um, quest specific actions, usually by performing uh, skill checks, for example. These actions usually have a significant impact on the game, and um, players have to perform them in all, if they want to succeed in the story. Um, one example is that players can, for example, dip their weapon into consecrated water to perform better actions against the demon they could probably not harm without it. The third element is uh, or are quest-specific roles. One quest is about rescuing the mother of one character, for example. And in the game, it is chosen randomly who the mother it is. And later in the game, this player is the only one who can perform certain actions um, to rescue his mother. The fourth element, which I think is great to deliver the emergent narrative, um, is the existence of quest-specific items. And players are allowed to keep uh, an item from a quest as a reward to upgrade their deck. Though this means you create some kind of tiny little historic memorable events um, and add them to the deck of the players. And whenever they, they draw the card from now on in another quest, they will remember the quest when they acquired it. For me, this combination of um, the storybook the time scale, the hero-specific actions, the quest-specific roles, and the quest-specific items. The combination of these really made it for me um, that I have some strong memories of the, the games I played in, um, in the world of Aventuriar. The last game I wanted to talk about is the one I started the podcast with, uh, Legends of Andor, and specifically about the story cards that uh, are attached to the different spots on the story track. Their task is to deliver the story, to um, trigger new events and to manage and organize the, the boss fights. Uh, regarding the story, they um, hold some instructions that explain the game's rules and mechanics. Um, and they help the players to set up the scenario and they do this in an incremental way, which is great. They also um, are the element of the game that uh, tells the story. So for every quest, there is an introduction written on the story cards. 
and they advance the story during the combat, during the encounter. So whenever a new trigger is um, is activated, um, there is some story element uh, read on one of the cards. So um, and at the end, there is a res resolution of the campaign. So when the card N um, is revealed, um, there is a part that is read for the case that the players um, have won or the players have lost. So how do the triggers work? They are most often attached to the story track and resolved once the narrator is placed on the respective field. But sometimes there are also quest-specific triggers instead. For example, once a specific enemy dies. And all of the triggers also have an effect on the backside. They introduce new goals for the campaign, they introduce new elements like monsters and obstacles, they change existing terrain possibilities, they change the behavior or the strength of monsters, or they present some kind of decisions for the players. So, for example, um, should the ally appear in fi on field A or field B? And they sometimes have some random results on them, so... Um, two possible movements uh, of an enemy and they depend on a dice roll, for example. Sometimes players can, as an effect of a trigger, can buy some items or they get a buff. A lot of these triggers are possible ways to add some random story elements to the, um, to the quest and drive the emergent narrative. So altogether, the Story cards in Andor really nicely combine the narrative aspect of the game with the actions of the players. Um, what helps a lot here is that you do not know the exact goals for your quest until you really um, reveal a new story card. And by tying these two elements, the story and uh, the quest goal together, players always spend their full attention when a new story card is revealed. However, It is more uh, of a scripted narrative that is represented here, um, even if it's represented in uh, variable pace and variable order. But um, there is not too much of emergent narrative that is supported by uh, the game mechanics from Andor. And this brings us to the end of this episode. The goal for any game design that strives to capitalize on emergent narratives should be to create mechanics that allow memorable moments in your game to happen. Present these moments to the players and tie the story elements to something the players can decide and um, always make them aware of cause and effect. Leave blanks in your story that can be filled by the players. For example, whose mother are you going to rescue? Let the players decide who carries the ring. Maybe something different happens when the dwarf carries the ring instead of the hobbit. And, well, yeah, give the players something they can keep from a quest that remembers them on their greatest successes or their worst defeats. This could be items, spells or yeah, incurable injuries. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and maybe I was able to create something memorable for you. Uh, if so, please leave me an honest review on iTunes or get in contact with me on nerdlikeaboss.com or on the NerdLab page on Facebook or you can also find me under the nickname NerdLikeaBoss on Twitter. In this sense, thank you for listening and until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss.
This music was by MatthewPablo.com. If you are looking for music for your games, podcasts or videos, please go and check his website. I think his work is incredible and maybe you can find something for you as well.